hun, it's me, Danielle. I am a licensed clinical mental health counselor, and I'm here to talk about all the ways multi-level marketing and mental health do not mix. It is important to know that this podcast is not meant to diagnose or for treatment. This podcast is based off of personal experiences and opinions, and is meant to educate and entertain. Now sit back and start healing with me on this episode of From Huns to Humans. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hon. Welcome to this episode of From Huns to Humans, brought to you by ThriveMind. Whether you're at a crossroads with your career, wanting to scale your side hustle, or want to start a new business, there are places down the road to change where you might feel stuck and need the experienced help of someone who has been there. Enter ThriveMind. ThriveMind is both a boutique marketing company for your small business, and most importantly, a coach and advocate to help you get your small business off the ground effectively and sustainably. Allie Heatherly, former Avon Hun and anti-MLM advocate, is the principal of ThriveMind and has 10 years of experience in business operations and can give you the tools to reach your goals. Visit thrivemindllc.com today to schedule your free no-commitment call to help jumpstart your side hustle business or career change today. That's thrivemindllc.com to make the big change today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of From Huns to Humans. I am so excited today because not only is Jackie another therapist that has very similar specialties as me um, and is into anti-MLM, but we are pretty much the same person. And as we've talked before, we started recording, I am just like, you are my new best friend and we need to move to the same town and start our own cult together. Um, Just kidding. Don't do that. (laughs) Um, Okay, Jackie, you have been in a good amount of MLMs and for a similar amount of time as me too, like I was in for about 10 years, you said it was like a little over 10 years. So what first introduced you to MLM? Yeah. So, um, in 2011, so I got married really young, not really young, but pretty young for, for these days. Right. Um, like my husband and I were 21 and 23, got married right after I finished my bachelor's degree. And in 2011, um, this guy walked into my husband's work and was like, Hey, I have, um, this advocate business and I think that y'all should try it. So my husband is, he works in like ropes course. He's like a ropes course person and he works kind of maintaining the facility. Right. And so he was like, you could probably use all these workout products. You have a very physical job. And it turns out that, um, at that time, the Advocare home office was like right next door to his company. 
and we had no idea, right? So this guy comes into his work, my husband and his coworker kind of get sucked into it. And they decide that they are going to start, they're going to like kind of get together and buy the like $3,000 worth of products it takes to start, mostly just to get a good discount. They wanted to try, you know, those kind of things. So I get sucked in because at the time, you know, I was someone who had gained a lot of weight due to a health condition. And I thought, okay, maybe I should just try these products and, and lose a bunch of weight and maybe I can like maybe make a little side money doing using the product so Advocare was mostly known at that time for like spark which is an energy drink and then they had like this 24 day challenge and all those kind of things right oh my god I remember like you just unlocked the core memory um I remember when I was in Plexus um people would talk about spark and i had no idea what it was but they were comparing it to plexus slim and i was like huh that's interesting but obviously i was in plexus as roberta lovins likes to call it and i just thought my products were the best because i was brainwashed but anyways continue yeah also brainwashed right so i was kind of like the perfect victim at that time so 2011 well 2010 when i graduated the economy was struggling right it was like the post housing crash and i had a bachelor's degree and a bunch of student loan debt and i couldn't get a job i was struggling so i ended up working in childcare which if you have ever worked in childcare you know that is a rough job it is hard to work with toddlers 40 hours a week plus, right? And so I, you. <laughs> uh, I was miserable. I almost didn't want to have kids after that. Like It was really bad. Um, and so I had a lot of body shame. I was, we were struggling financially. Um, you know, I desperately wanted to lose, lose this weight because I felt like I would be more worthy or more valuable if I was slimmer right? You know, that typical diet, diet culture stuff <laughs> that I know now is, is very insidious and, you know, based in misogyny and racism and all sorts of things. Yes. This is why you're my new best friend. <laughs> <laughs> but back then I just thought I would be happier if I was thinner. And there was also, you know, another vulnerability that kind of led me to that as I had been, we had been struggling. I had, uh, multiple miscarriages in that first year of our marriage. And I had been struggling with blaming myself, right? Like if I was thinner, maybe I wouldn't have lost these babies. Like if I was healthier, maybe I wouldn't have done, or maybe I wouldn't have, you know, had this, this missed pregnancy or, you know, it's like an early, like a super early miscarriage. And so they, they preyed on that, right? Like the, these people who, became our sponsors in Advocare were actually really high up in the company. They were making like hundred thousand dollars a month, a lot. And so they had some of that pull to say like, cause I was thinking to myself, even a thousand dollars a month would get us out of a lot of, a lot of this stress financially. So I was like, well, if they can make that much money, then I can make a thousand dollars a month, which wasn't true by the way, <laughs> wasn't true because I was at the bottom of the pyramid and they were at the top of the pyramid. Right. And so, you know, there was a lot tied to it, why I was like this perfect victim for Advocare at that time. Um, but I also was young, 
and didn't know a lot about myself. And I just wanted people to be proud of me, right? Like I wanted to be a success story. And that, so that was very largely what drew me in to Advocare was like this desire for people to know me and to see me as inspirational. Um, so that happened. <laughs> we joined and, you know, we, um, I maybe lost like a little bit of weight that I regained back pretty quickly. I mean, it was very crash diet, take all these vitamins. We were spending hundreds of dollars a month on the products, even with this like 40% discount. I mean, it was, it was wild. It was also impacting my health. So I have a heart condition and <laughs> taking diet supplements while also having a heart condition is not, not good. Um, they would always say, you know, go talk to your doctor before you take these products. But like when it's so easily accessible to you and I thought to myself, well, if I lost weight, my heart condition would get better because that's what I was being told by also medical professionals. Uh, and that, that oh, fat phobia exists. Yes, yes, um, yes. Ugh, I know. Um, it just kind of created this like shame cycle where I would just take the products and not tell my doctor like, whoa. And it was so bad for me. And I think that that is very, very common. And this is something I actually haven't talked about a lot in my story, but I, I, I don't have a heart condition, but, um, I would really pick and choose what supplements I told my doctor I was taking because I knew that there were ones that she would probably be like, stop it. Why are you taking that? Um, and then and those were the ones that I was like, this is going to make me skinny. <laughs> and, but then I would tell her like, oh yeah, I'm just taking a probiotic and a, a magnesium supplement. She'd be like, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Thanks. And like, I'd show her like the bottles and she was like, I don't like, there's nothing that she could tell was wrong with it. There was many things wrong with it. If you've listened to my story, but you know, like there is a lot of I think a lot of MLMs will talk about like, oh, make sure you talk to your doctor, but it's very like an underhand pitch of like, yeah, like we're telling you to talk to your doctor, but we know you're really not going to. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a, a risk, like thing. I don't know what, I don't know what the word is. Like, they're just trying to avoid their risk on their end. So they're just going to say that and it not really mean anything. Well, I also think that it, it's like. So if you say like, oh yeah, like we'll talk to your doctor first and like make sure that they think it's okay. Oh, well, other people must be talking to their doctor about it. So why would my doctor have anything different to say? I don't need to talk to my doctor. It's fine. They're telling me that I should, I should just talk to my doctor first. And that you're told to talk to your doctor before you start any new exercise program. And how many people are like, oh, I'm going to go to Zumba and I'm going to go and call my doctor first and make sure that that's okay. Like, Right. I'm paying yeah. a $75 copay so I can ask if I can do Zumba. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like no, no one does that. Um, so I think that it's really one, yes, it covers their ass. And then also it's like, it presents this, um, this idea that it is safe because why would I be promoting it if it wasn't safe. And I personally did talk to my doctor about some of the supplements I was taking. So I would be, I was able to say, oh yeah, I talked to my doctor about this and it was fine. Like my doctor thought it was fine, but you should talk to your doctor too. 
and they'll, they'll tell you if it's fine or if you should be taking it. Like, you know what I mean? And then after you hear that, it's like, oh, well, Danielle talked to her doctor and it was fine. Right. So, I mean, there's also the, the fact that this was um, before Obamacare and I didn't have health insurance, right? So like, ooh, ooh going and talking to my doctor was not accessible. Yes, that, that's a whole nother thing um, that healthcare is a privilege and we don't talk about that a lot. In Massachusetts, you have to have insurance, uh, health insurance, or you get a hefty fine. So, um, yeah, well, before all of that legislation so in 2011, oh. all of that was getting ready to like hit, I think. And yeah. we were, we were able to get insurance after that, but I was working in a job where they didn't provide insurance. I was like, like $9 an hour. Yeah. yeah. No and, benefits and- at all. And there are people even today that can't afford to have insurance and they just pay the fine because it's, it's cheaper sometimes. And it's such a privilege. And also in a lot of senses, it's a privilege to even be able to buy MLM products because of how expensive they are. Yes. Um, Although most of us end up in debt because of them. Yeah. (laughs) Those credit card bills. I don't know if I, (laughs) I paid them off eventually, but I mean, that was years ago, you know, and I, I like just now had a shame reaction about that. Like, uh, like it rose up in my chest like this. (gasps) I I spent so much money on a credit card that, you know, I'm pretty sure ended up getting charged off and we had to pay it off with debt collectors calling us. Oh no. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that was when I was like 21 and I didn't have that much money. And I thought if I invest in, invest in this company and sell all these products and build a team, I'm going to be able to pay this off anyway. Right. Super naive, but also that was being fed to me by these super mature, older adults that were mentoring me. Right. So what ended up happening next? It, uh, how did you get out of Advocare? <laughs> so we kind of slow faded out of Advocare. We uh, started realizing like we were not being gaslit. We kind of both were, my husband and I were both kind of feeling yuck. We were feeling like failures mainly because we couldn't sell the products. We were being told we didn't have good quality friends. Like we needed to make better friends. We needed to go to church, like to a new church and make new friends because church people are the ones that were willing to buy into Advocare. It also had a very like affinity fraud undertone, you know, where they were like the, these leaders were doing like Bible studies and like one opened a church in the area and like, yeah. So we just realized this is not going well. We are constantly feeling terrible about ourselves and we just stepped away quietly. And let it fade out. And I told myself at that time, that was probably 2014, 2015. I had already had a couple kids by then. Um, I was going in like the weight cycling, like losing some weight, gaining more weight, losing some weight, gaining more weight. And I just was like this, I'm done. Like, I can't do this anymore. My mental health is bad because I have a bunch of little kids and I have postpartum depression and I I'm done. You know, I think my husband and I had multiple conversations about how 
we really wanted it to work, but we were feeling like failures and it was time to just like let it fade out and die. So at that time I was like, I will never join another MLM. I'm not going to be part of that scammy stuff. <laughs> and imagine if anti-MLM was even what it was today. If you had been able to find that, you probably yeah. would have been saved. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there was no, um, there was nothing. Like I can't even remember people like coming out and saying that Advocare was bad for them. Like I can't. Um, and Advocare eventually was kind of taken out. The MLM structure part of it was taken out. They got sued. I don't know. All, I didn't, I actually like tried to avoid a lot of those details because it was really triggering. Realizing that I was a victim and that all of those things, I had believed those lies that brought a lot of shame. Like, I had a lot of shame when Advocare went down. Yeah. And you know, that's something we haven't really talked about on here a lot is just like, the feelings that come up as these companies do get taken out. Um, because I think that we just, we brush over it. And like a lot of times we think, oh, well, like it's a victory. This company was taken out. But in like the other side of this is it brings and sheds light to all of these people who are victims. And I can totally see why you would be feeling that way. Yeah. I mean, and there's the other part of it that I knew that I had run off a lot of my family or not even my family, like a lot of my friends, they were like, Ooh, she's a hun. We don't want to be around her. Like even my best friend was like, Oh sis, I tolerated, (laughs) I tolerated a lot of this stuff because I love you, but barely. Right. And so I knew, I knew that I had run off so many people and that just having to face that, that I had ruined a lot of my relationships over some energy drinks. (laughs) Like it was, it, you know, and it's something I worked through in therapy. Um, with, I have a therapist, his name is Cody, shout out Cody. He's amazing. I don't know if he'll listen to this. I don't even know if I'll even tell him I was on this podcast. (laughs) We don't talk about anti-MLM stuff a lot, but but, you know, I work, I worked through a lot of that with him and, you know, realizing like people didn't stick around because it, like of what I was doing. And so I've had to work on like accepting that this is like a very cringy part of my, <laughs> a very cringy part of my growth, like trajectory. And that even though I have all this shame and like, I spent a big period of time blaming myself. Like I was set up for that too. Right. So I know I'm, I kind of want to like circle back a little bit to that affinity fraud part, because I think that plays a lot in it. So I was raised in a super Catholic home and I'm not religious anymore. Um, Just like, I would just say like, we are culturally Catholic, maybe we don't really attend anything. But um, when I was in Advocare, there was a lot of super fundamentalist evangelical Protestant type things like they would break off and do Bible studies. Somebody started a church. um, And the behavior was really cult like and it, it, you know, it kind of, they wove in this super intense fundamentalist Christian mindset, right? 
like the mindset that if you work hard, God is going to favor you and you're going to be blessed with all this money. Right. And so the people who rose to the top in that company, they very much like leaned on that, like God is favoring us. And this is why we do so well every month, why we always meet our, you know, minimums and why we always rank it. I don't even remember the ranks diamond or whatever. Right. It's, you know, they, they claim it was because of God's favor and like that, I didn't, I didn't, I wouldn't say I was like, Oh, 100%. I believe that, but it was so insidious. Like it, it, it like, like snuck into some of my core values and my belief systems to where even when Advocare fell, I don't even remember what year it was. Like I had to go back and kind of like uproot some of that. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's so interesting to me. Um, I've never been involved with any sort of organized religion. Um, and it's really interesting to me as really an outsider in any religious community to just see all of the faith stuff that goes on in MLM. And I'm curious to see if we notice the theme through your other MLMs and if that ends up coming up in other um other companies that you are involved in too. So make sure you tell us as we go through, because um, obviously Jesus wanted you to be a part of all of these MLMs, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, it will. <laughs> um, so after that, I kind of spent some time, not a lot of time, but some time being like MLMs are trash. I'm never going to be part of uh, a nutritional MLM again, specifically, right? Like I have a, I have some people in, in my world at that time that were in Plexus and we're in Beachbody. And I was like, ugh, no, I'm never going to do that. Yuck. Bad taste in my mouth, you know, too much shame. Right. And so, um, 2016 rolls around and I, um, was, uh, in a lot of mommy communities in 2016 because I needed that support. I had three kids under three. Um, my oldest kiddo was diagnosed autistic, um, I think in 2015. And I just needed a lot of support. I didn't have a good community around me. I mean, kind of flashback, like I didn't have a lot of friends because I had run a lot of people away and like I was super isolated. You know, this was, this was the, the time where I was like survival moding it three little kids. Um, my oldest son had a lot of meltdowns at that time, you know, so I really was just like day to day, like doing what I could to survive. And um, I'm sorry, I just want to interrupt you for one second, because I think that this is an important conversation for us to have, which is the stage of development that you were in when you were in Avocare until now. Uh, well, not now, but uh, at this point in your story, um, that is the time in your life where your personality is like truly forming from 21 to 25. Um, and it's really interesting to me that you said, you know, you've ran off a lot of your friends because I'm wondering, you know, if that was like what people were getting as your personality and you were putting that off as like you were a hun and everyone was like, eek, like <laughs> scam alert, but no one could really put their finger on it because, you know you're so in belief that this is legitimate. Um, 
And I think that that's just something that we don't really talk about is when you're in MLM in that chunk of your life, it has a lot to do with who you are. Um, Yeah. What do you think about that? So you're kind of blowing my mind right now because I've never thought about it, which is so great. Like, I'm so excited that you brought this up because my first response and like my first thought was I still catch people I know remembering the hun version of me yeah and I was also in MLM during that chunk of time in my life Mm -hmm. I think that's a very predatory time because uh, especially in today's world like there's so much financial insecurity and um and for me and you like we're both in the helping field so like we're told that these products are going to change people's lives And we're like, hell yes, like, let me help everyone. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know, even recently, I think I have a bunch of siblings. I'm the oldest of six. And I think even one of my siblings said something. I don't think he even knows this. So it's so funny if he listens to this, but he had said something that triggered this response in me that almost was like, you don't even know who I am now, right? Because he was responding to like what past, this past version of his older sister would do and say. And so that, I mean, that like it, I feel like it secure like a lot of people's opinions of me in, in my, even in my family, that they maybe still even have these like flashbacks to how I was like pressuring him to join (laughs) to join Advocare and he was like I think he was like 17 or something (laughs) at that time right so yeah it it really did impact a lot of the fundamental relationships in my life I will say that it has gotten a lot better I've done a lot of work to heal those things but they I mean they still come up on occasion yeah. Okay. Sorry. I totally interrupted you. It's 2016. You're in mom groups. So, um, I have this lovely group of friends from a wedding planning forum that I met in like 2009, 2010. And I've kept up with a lot of them, which is wild internet friends forever. Right. Like love them. And they had all kind of started a little bit of a hunting for LuLaRoe. Um, what are like the contests, like the LuLaRoe giveaways, hunting for LuLaRoe giveaways group, right? So at that time we were um, broke, super broke because we had three little kids and, you know, I could not work because our oldest child was um, very intensely needed a lot of therapies, you know, mostly just speech and OT, but he had also had a stroke at birth. And so he needed some PT and we went to the doctors a lot. And so my, my full-time job essentially at that time was being his mom and being his advocate and helping him get through that really rough developmental stage. So we didn't have a lot of money. So I would join (laughs) like 500 LuLaRoe launch party groups a week and enter their contests to get free clothes. Brilliant. <laughs> it was brilliant. Brilliant. We brilliant. Scam the scammers. It. I get we it. Scammed the scammers, which kind of bit a lot of us in the butt at the end because we got sucked into the cult. But 
at that time, this was before any of us had joined and we would like send each other links, like invite each other to the groups. Like we, we knew like I could tag these five people in this giveaway because they all are the people that do giveaways with me. And like, we won so much clothes. Brilliant. Like it, it's really, it's really brilliant. Like, yeah. I mean, I and, obviously feel bad because now I know like yeah, those yeah. people were buying all of that and not making any profit because they were doing all these giveaways. Yeah. But I had like, no idea at the time. I didn't know how at the time. Yeah, they're the ones that are giving away clothes and giving yeah. away their money. Right. And that was like the culture of LuLaRoe launch parties, right? Give away a bunch of clothes. So you'll develop these huge LuLaRoe groups on Facebook and have these huge followings that were really just a bunch of like dead groups because all the same people were in every group trying to get to give away stuff like we were. So I probably won like $300, $400 worth of clothes, which I guess that's not like, if you think about it, like retail price, I was probably like 10 pieces of clothes. But still, 10 pieces of clothes is at, you can have a full wardrobe with that. I mean, like, right. let's be real. We all wear the same, like, five shirts. Yeah. <laughs> and then we yeah. have our couple of shirts that we bum around the house in. So it ends up being 10 shirts. Right. And, you know, the, the other part of that, which w- should have been a red flag for me, but I totally missed it, was that, like, half of the stuff that we all won was so ugly. Like, they would send out. <laughs> They would send out, like every LuLaRoe retailer will agree, they would send out the pieces of clothing that they knew would not sell, right? So I had Doritos galore. I would wear, I mean, I was not leaving my house at the time. Like I had three small children hanging on me at all times. So I was wearing big frumpy shirts and leggings all day long. Right. And like, why not? Like, and you're going to get covered in like, child bodily fluids anyways and yeah. food and all of this stuff because children on are you are they under three still at this point <laughs> at that point they were like um five four and three. Oh, i mean that's even worse um, <laughs> yeah because now you got paint involved <laughs> yeah we were in potty training mode and it was a very long period of my life i don't think i slept i think i was exhausted and it was terrible um, so I got sucked in that way. That's how I got sucked in. I, uh, I was like, well, I already have some of these clothes. They're comfortable. They're kind of fugly, but like, you know, some people really like them. Right. I was seeing that whole, like people there's, there's a market for this, you know, and that was at the height of LuLaRoe, right. That was like 2016 was the height. I've been thinking about this a lot about like how LuLaRoe had those like really ugly patterns uh, and still do have really ugly patterns and in my opinion um and I think that people are they think they like it because it's just such a bold decision and like you don't know what to think of it when you see it. So you're just like, huh, like I could never pull that off, but like, good for you. Good for you for wearing those like bright neon pink Doritos with a lime green background. Like I would never do that, but like, wow, 
somehow you pulled it off like you know because you don't know what to think of it because you don't see anything else like it yeah and I mean in mom culture in 2016 like young mom culture right it was very much like wear these fun funky pants you're gonna be the cool mom like all the moms wear these at the you know at the school pickup you know we have to wear our butter pants or whatever but also like the the bright side to all of this is that you're wearing all these awesome bright colored clothes and you have young children so they're getting to see all of these shapes and patterns and colors and like you're just adding to their enriching environment this is my um positive reframe of your time in LuLaRoe (laughs) yeah I think that it was actually some of my like thought process as well you know I had a delayed kiddo you know he he loved those those clothes like I bought him a lot of those because it was very comfortable for his sensory stuff right and so he loved he loved wearing leggings he wanted the triangles and he wanted those things and you know I didn't I rarely took him out in public like I didn't send him to he was in like a developmental preschool class I didn't send him to preschool and that stuff but you know it helped with some of his sensory issues. So there were things, I mean, there were things about it that I felt like quote unquote benefited and it made it easier to, to like get sucked in and slide into becoming a LuLaRoe retailer, right? Yeah. Okay. Tell us about that. (laughs) So my, um, my best friend, my best mom friend at the time was the first one to join that I knew. And, um, I saw her becoming successful in a a sense, um, not in like the recruiting a bunch of people that was not her jam, but like, she was really good at, at selling clothes and I bought some stuff from her and I, you know, helped her. And I started to like, see all of the creative parts of having a LuLaRoe boutique and started to realize like I need a creative outlet like I'm drowning I need something I'm good at making graphics and I have an eye for photography and I have some of these skills that would be necessary to start selling LuLaRoe online in Facebook groups and so I watched her do it and then in late 2016, I signed as LuLaRoe was starting to crash, right? So I was the, I was the late adapter and it didn't serve me very well. Um, as LuLaRoe was starting to crash and, and everything was starting to come unraveled, um, I didn't see that part of it because I really only saw her and a couple of my other friends from that group I was talking about become retailers and start selling and, and do well um, in the retail part of it. Um, And so I got a loan, a $6,000 loan, still not making great financial choices, but you know, that's kind of the theme of, of this sometimes. And I waited close to three months and and onboarded. So dropped six, six grand almost. Um, And then at the same time that I opened my LuLaRoe shop, I entered grad school to become a therapist. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. (laughs) I'm so excited. Okay. Yeah. So, um, let's see. I, I, I onboarded, I had a launch party. The launch party went actually really well. Um, 
and that was kind of at the point where things were starting to come undone, but we weren't getting the special dead fart leggings yet, or I hadn't gotten any of them yet, right? I think they were out there, it was happening, but I was not seeing that on my side of things. What I was experiencing was not as bad. So also, um, where is this in the timeline of LuLaRoe where they had the 100% buyback guarantee? Okay, so that happened at the end of my first year in LuLaRoe. Okay, so. so happened in 2017. So like when that crap, like when they took that, when they ripped that from us was about eight months into or nine, no, 10 months into me being in LuLaRoe. Okay. So I thought, yeah, I thought they would buy it all back if I failed spectacularly, yeah. right? Like I could just give it all back if, you know, if it doesn't go well, that was, that's, I think that's why my husband signed off on it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's why I asked. Cause I was like, it that sounded like it lined up with mm-hmm. when they were, um, they were offering that. And then, so eight months in about, they said, oh, no more. Yeah. They were like, sucks to suck. (laughs) Right. Um, so those first couple months I did. Okay. I never recruited anyone. I know that wasn't really like my thing. I I was pretty traumatized from Advocare. So (laughs) I just needed that creative outlet and I, it met some of those needs for a little bit. Um, but it didn't last. (laughs) Right. That creative outlet became pure rage over, you know, the noir launch, right? The black, the all black LuLaRoe launch that like some people got 5,000 pieces of and some people got zero and some people got 20, right? Like, and the 5,000 people, the five the people who got the 5,000 pieces of it, like they had, they had Intel into the company anyway. They knew the right browsers to use. They knew that the company wasn't going to come after them for opening multiple browsers. Whereas the rest of us that were like these little peons, we were like, we got to follow the rules. And maybe that's just me. (laughs) Maybe that's just my personality, but. And no, I think that, you know, you're trying to do everything right. Like, you know what I mean? Like you're trying to, you're just trying to be fair. And like, again, taking it, uh, them taking advantage of people who really just have good intentions. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, um, that was also during the time that I onboarded was like right around the peak of the whole like wet Kleenex leggings, the like leggings ripping. And I think I just like straight up cognitive dissonance. Like, I'm not going to think about that right now. Like none of my leggings have done that. I don't know what the deal is like whatever, LuLaRoe will protect me, right? Because they have this 100% buyback and they they say all the time, they give this lip service to how much they love us and care about us and they want us to be successful. But um, I found some of, the, some of the same, you know, themes, right? The isolation and the shame. I actually, um, comparatively, LuLaRoe versus Advocare, I, I did pretty well in the retail part of it. I built um, a really strong retail group. Um, I had a lot of people who would refer their friends to me. So a lot of my retail group were not my friends. My mom was in there, of course. She bought so much Lula, that poor woman. When, when we were like purging our closets of it, I was like, I feel so bad. Like how much you bought for me. She was like supportive to a T. My mom is also a therapist, by the way. Yes, here for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Um, and so she would wear, you know, she would wear leggings and, or she would wear Amelia's. That was her, like the, the structured dress. That was her thing was she had all these funky Amelia's she'd wear with her therapist cardigan. And back in 2016 and 2017, that was like the thing, right? Right. Yeah. And you know, I, I really think it's hilarious that therapists even jumped on that because there are so many of us that are like wearing clothes that, or at least when I went to school, they were like, really like, if you can wear all black every single day, just be a blank slate. Don't wear clothes that have personality. And I'm just like, and meanwhile I'm sitting in grad school with bright pink hair and I'm just like yeah okay I'll be a blank slate therapist it's so funny like reviewing that now knowing myself as a therapist I'm not a blank slate therapist oh no me neither me neither when I have like my consultation calls with people I'm like just so you know I'm blunty I'm blunty blunt and I think I'm funny which isn't always the best combination um (laughs) so I'm like you need to call me out on my shit if I say something and you think that is weird you need to just say it (laughs) yeah Yeah, all of my clients know from the beginning like I have ADHD I get distracted sometimes I will say I had a train of thought and it disappeared and maybe it'll come back but let's move on (laughs) like that's my thing right well, my clients know that if I like have a moment and start scribbling something down, I'm just catching a thought that I have that is not appropriate to say at the time. Like that's, that's how I am, but they all know that I, I don't hide that because that, I don't know. I feel like authenticity is really important. Anyway, we're yeah, getting no, no, I think it's really important. Um, and I'm so glad to hear you say this too, because you just brought so much validation to me. Oh. Um, because I really believe in like being a human in in session and like um, just sharing like my genuine self, like, you know, obviously with boundaries and stuff, but it's so cool to see another therapist that's like, yeah, no, I'm human. This is what I am. Like this, I know this is how I am. And I want to let you know, because otherwise it can be portrayed as you're not paying attention to them. It's like, no this is me being human and I'm modeling for you that I can still do this job and function. And like, this is how we're going to work together. Yeah. All right. Anyways, continue. Anti-MLM. <laughs> okay. So, um, I found myself a lot of times being really defensive after everything started falling apart. The, um, the stuff, like all the PR stuff with, with LuLaRoe and like the down syndrome. Um, I just, that, <laughs> I don't even know if I want to get into that. Cause I have like a reaction. No, I think it's important. And I think that you as a mom of a special needs child and like autism and down syndrome are not the same thing, but they are very similar in a lot of ways. And a lot of people get them confused um and just don't realize which one is which right there's Um, a stigma on both sides like for both families yes yes so I think that it is very appropriate for you to air your thoughts and opinions about what happened in your experience so with that whole PR nightmare um essentially I I kind of shut down 
right? Like I felt like I was in so deep. I was selling all the time and that it was going to hurt my business. And I had so much money, like invested probably like 10 grand invested into like 10 grand worth of clothes, just sitting around, um, that I was trying to sell. And for me, the reaction was like so deeply emotional and like, I had so much rage, but I couldn't even like in it, it was, it was a protective response. Like that I couldn't even follow all of the things everyone was saying, all of the rage everyone had, because it just was so threatening. It was like, I think that's that, you know, that's when like all the cracks started to appear, right? It was like, does this company really care about me or do they just care about their image? Do they just care about, you know, protecting their leaders? Cause this was like, I, I mean, we, we haven't really like quantified exactly what happened and I don't have like 100% of the details, but it was just some things happened on a live. Somebody, um, high up in the company was mocking one of their relatives that has down syndrome and it was just disgusting. Um, and, and so I don't know, I, it's really hard to talk about because I think I had such a, such a, like a deeply painful reaction, but at the same time I had to continue business as usual. I had to tell my, my clients, like I had a pretty strong, strong network of clients at the time. I had to tell them like, let's, you know, I can't focus on that. I have to focus on selling these clothes to you and continuing to do what I felt like was making me happy, which was going live and chatting with them. And, you know, I I did kind of turn my LuLaRoe business into, um, I had a lot of, of a plus size following because I am someone who is in a larger body. Um, and I felt like I, I owed them to like almost like, like put my hands over my ears and go, la, 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 la. I can't hear all this insane stuff. Oh, insane is not the right word, but all of this, all of this like emotional, everyone is raging stuff happening. Like I couldn't process it. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I had to do the, I had to do the stick my fingers in my ears, go la, 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 and continue about my business because worth of clothing was in my master bedroom. And I think also uh, at this time, at least in my life, I never noticed this, but now it's a really big thing to be like protesting with your dollar. Um, But at that point in time, it was like barely even a thought to do that. Um, So I, I don't, I I don't see how, even with us being as like trying to protect as many people as possible and things like that, I don't think that that thought would have come into your head to be like, well, I can't financially support this business anymore because they don't line up with my values. It, it, that was like the start of like, that was creeping in, but it was almost like it was so overwhelming. I couldn't latch onto that yet but more started happening, right? (laughs) That was when everything came unraveled for me. And so there were, there were more things that were happening. Like 
Um, I don't, I don't even, I don't even like remember everything, honestly, but I know there's one thing in, in particular that happened late 2017, early 2018, when I was starting to genuinely consider leaving LuLaRoe, there was, there was a, a lawsuit about someone, um, one of the managers in the warehouse calling their worker a racial slurs. And I actually wrote um, some of the some of the the corporate one of the corporate guys. I'm sure it was one of the family members. I can't even like I've blocked this out a little bit because it was so much. But I wrote I wrote them a letter that was like, I I am not a big fish like they would say. I'm not a big fish. I have a, I have a little tiny Lularo following but all of these things that are happening are not aligning with my values anymore. And I'm becoming a therapist. And I don't know if I can continue with LuLaRoe if y'all don't start saying something, if y'all don't start saying anything. I got this BS email back. It was from Kenny. It was Kenny. Sorry, I wasn't supposed to. <laughs> I don't know how I was supposed to name drop. I mean, but it was from, you know, the family member who's like up at the top and I think was doing like PR stuff or something at the time. But, but they emailed me back and he was like, well, it's, it's a legal issue. We can't talk about it, but you know, I'm really grateful to hear your story and why LuLaRoe is so valuable to you. Hope you don't leave. Oh my God. Like such a, what a way to flip it around and you know I hate it when they use stuff like this like you know we we love to positively reframe stuff as therapists but I hate it when capitalism does it like it's not fair like first of all it's almost like a form of gaslighting like oh like you sent me this email telling me that you're unhappy with me but I'm so glad that LuLaRoe has made such a difference in your life XOXO. Hope you stay forever. Love ya. Bye. That's exactly what it was. It was toxic positivity. It was, it was not good. So, so that happened. That happened in January, 2018, I believe, or February, 2018. And that was the weekend I decided to leave. Um, my husband and I were, uh, on a work trip for his work. Um, they had taken us to um, Orlando, to Universal Orlando, as kind of like things were going well in their company and they were rewarding their workers and they let them all bring their spouses. And it was really lovely. And we were sitting in, this is such a, this is such a core memory right here, right? We were sitting in, um, at, at, we were at, um, what is it called? Like in Harry Potter world right? And we were drinking butter beers and we were sitting on like the cobblestone, like Hogsmeade, I think, or whatever, whatever that area is called. And I remember looking at my husband and being like, I think I'm going to leave LuLaRoe. And he was like, finally. Yes. <laughs> so that was kind of when I decided it was time to leave. However, I did not leave MLM. I did not. <laughs> oh wasn't you it, it was you it was you it was just that you were a right fit for that company and that's why that's why you failed so you don't you know what you should just try a different one that's exactly where where my mind was right I thought I thought and I, I have made TikToks about this I thought that the problem was the owners of LuLaRoe 
I thought that the problem was the culture of LuLaRoe. I mean, that is for sure a problem. But... <laughs> I thought that was the only problem. <laughs> you know, even given that I had experience being in a pyramid scheme, being in an MLM before, I still had, I think, enough time between those that I almost like put it in a box in my, in my brain and compartmentalized it, which, you know, I'm really good at doing that. And so I joined um, a a little startup MLM called Paisley Ray. Um, There's like, like nothing online about it pretty much. It was tiny. I was, I think maybe like their 20th, um, person to join. It was, it was a clothing company. It was run by an actual designer who had worked. I mean, not, not to say there weren't actual designers in LuLaRoe, but somebody who actually had worked for like free people and like good clothing companies made really good designs. And I will say too, like, I mean, after, if you have not watched the LuLaRoe documentaries, Rich or the rise and fall of LuLaRoe, like we really see in those documentaries that the designers were pushed to create this fast, fast, fast fashion where they were just taking design and overlapping it with another design because they were forced to make so many designs a day. And when I say so many, I mean like a disgusting amount of designs a day. Like you would never expect an artist, like a true artist to make that much no, and, and the problem there was the head designer. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, tell us anyway. more about this uh, startup. So the um, startup had like, like someone who was designing gorgeous clothes that fit plus size people really well, in my opinion. No, yeah, and... It's too bad that they were an MLM um, because, you know, that's just something that we see such a problem with. Um, and, you know, we're speaking out a lot more. Um, I'm definitely in like a mid to large size body and I have a lot of trouble finding clothes because I'm right between the large straight, like the largest straight sizes and the smallest plus sizes. So if I walk into a plus size store, I'm like, looked at like, why are you here? But also I can't find the clothes that fit me in a straight size. So it's like, you know, like there's just such a value to good, inclusive clothing. Right. And that was kind of where my, my quote unquote business had gone, right? That was who I was serving. That was the, um, the gap that I was filling was I was someone who had become super confident in my size 26 body and people wanted to see that more often, right? Like, and I loved that part of getting to, to develop that in myself. It's a shame it was developed through MLM, but right. Like I, I love that I was getting to develop that. And so this next MLM, this startup Paisley Ray kind of met a lot of those needs the designer herself um was plus size she had a lot of experience creating plus size lines and her clothing went up to like size 28 size 30 and and I had a lot of people um that I was serving that needed those sizes 
And, and so that's most of what I was selling was her plus size, the plus size part of her line, which um, it's important to say, like, she was actually fitting on like size 24, 26 models. She wasn't fitting. She wasn't doing what other companies do, which is make everything wider and longer. Yes, that is such a problem. So there was a lot of good intention there, right? And and the, the people who started that MLM, they had never been in MLMs before. <laughs> so they were, bless their hearts, they were thinking that they were going to probably ride a little bit of this LuLaRoe clothing MLM wave that was happening. Um, and it didn't last. Um, unfortunately and fortunately, the, the MLM part of the structure of the company fell apart because there was no way for us to do this successfully without being predatory. Like, that's why it didn't work. Like, we tried it. We tried to do it without being predatory. I had probably like 10 people on my, maybe 12 people on my team. And I didn't feel comfortable bringing anyone else on because of the capacity of the company, because of some of, we were having some issues with like shipping. Um, they made everything in the USA, which is great because they used the little mom and pop um, like sewing floors in LA. And so they were employing those people. Um, but it just like, it was, it could have been ideal, right? Like if MLM wasn't such a predatory structure, if MLM wasn't so problematic, if MLM wasn't a scam, I think it would have worked. And no, never mind. I, I was going to talk about something, but it's just such a tangent and we have so much more to your story. So you keep going. So, um, let me think, where, where was I there? So, so Paisley Ray, I was in Paisley Ray until sometime. So I started Paisley Ray in like March, 2018. And then sometime in 2019 is when Paisley Ray kind of crumbled and they said, Hey, we've just decided we're going to be boutique wholesalers. Y'all can keep your, your Paisley Ray clothes or solely sell us, but we're, we're completely taking down our MLM structure, which I had a lot of feelings about because of course, like I had been in MLM, I had essentially built their customer base for them. And it felt a little bit like they were like, oh, thanks for the customers, here we go, right? But at the end of the day, it was better for everyone for them to close down that part. Um, that's, that lasted a couple months. Oh, go ahead. I, I was gonna say, that's so awesome. I have a feeling you're about to answer my question, which is, did, um, did they survive not being an MLM? They did not. They did not survive. Sad. I don't That's so know. sad. Like as an outside and uh, like being outside now and being anti-MLM, seeing a company say, oh, I see that this is wrong. Let's get rid of it. And they don't survive because there are so many of these companies that could survive not being an MLM. Like uh, I have a lot of other problems with Beachbody outside of them being an MLM, but like Beachbody is a perfect example of why can't you just sell it on its own? <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I just, it, it was really sad because their clothes were so like, I still wear the, like I'm wearing a pair of pants right now. Like I still wear the clothes. 
but I have no, like that designer has disappeared. Like, I don't know what she's doing. She's probably working for a, well, I mean, she's successful. Like that woman is a boss, but like not a boss babe. She's like an actual, like amazing kick-ass designer. So she is probably working for one of, for free people again, or for one of those like major companies and like the stuff you're seeing that's out there. That's really good is probably her work. But we don't, I don't know, like I'm not in touch. I'm not in touch with her. I'm not in touch with, with any of them anymore. And so it's just, it's just sad that it didn't work out, but, but they ended up going under as, as a boutique vendor, as a boutique supplier, it just wasn't working. I think, I think it was, it was just proof that, that MLM is predatory, no matter what, like, even if you have good intentions, it is a predatory structure. I would If anyone that's listening to this, if you are in touch with the owners of this MLM, I would love to talk to them if they are willing to talk to me um, and talk about what it was like starting an MLM and then seeing, and I'm assuming, this is me totally assuming that they noticed that it was predatory and it was wrong and that they stopped doing it because of those reasons. Um, But, you know, if they were be willing to talk about that I that would be so cool yeah maybe maybe somebody yeah well my email my email is in the show notes (laughs) (laughs) I would listen to that I would be so happy to um so that all kind of happened and then in August 2019 I so I became an independent boutique I um in August, 2019, I started my first internship as a therapist and I closed my boutique forever. <laughs> and I said, it's time to be done with this part of my life. I love selling clothes. I love teaching women how to be neutral about their bodies or positive about their bodies. I love being someone who produces this kind of content to show people that it's okay to be fat. Like, and we're using fat as a descriptor and not as a derogatory word here. I, I love, yeah, we are. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> I loved that part of my life. But the day that I saw my first client, I knew it was time. It was time to be done and to move on to this new chapter of my life, which was becoming a therapist and putting everything I could into becoming a bomb ass therapist. Yeah. So <laughs> Is that where your MLM story ends or did you find another one? Oh no, that is where my MLM story ends. Oh good. I I was, I was nervous. I was nervous. Um, because I, as you know, like I, I thought that I was helping people and that it was a good companion to being a therapist in a lot of ways. Um, obviously that is not true. (laughs) Um, but I'm so glad that you decided to just focus on being a therapist and not, uh, try to do both. Me too, because I feel like it's a very common, um, like side hustle for a lot of therapists because we don't make any money. Unlike the movies, they tell us in the (laughs) movies, they say that we make lots of money. We don't make lots of money. Uh, living living that pain out right now with a provisional license yeah yeah 
So um, what got you into like anti-MLM? Like how did that start for you? So last fall, when um, Lula Rich was starting, the rumbles of Lula Rich were beginning to hit TikTok. I actually had a, um, a different TikTok that doesn't really exist anymore. Um, and I started thinking about like, I want to start talking about this more. I, I want to share. I want to share my story. Gosh, that sounds so like culty, <laughs> but you know, I want to share what, what has happened as a way to kind of start working on healing some of those wounds. Um, I accidentally tripped over like going viral once when Lula Rich launched. Um, I created a couple like mildly funny TikToks about it and wound up crossing like a, like a million and a half pages. Like people, like that's how many views it ended up with. Um, and, and a bunch of people started following me. And so I feel like I kind of just tripped and fell and rolled into the anti-MLM community while I was just like quietly anti-MLM because I still had a lot of friends. I mean, I, I still do have a lot of friends who are um, chronic MLMers. Yeah, that's very common. Yeah, I do. And um, I think I have lost, I mean, I know I have lost some. I know that there was some, some speaking about me behind my back in some groups that I previously was a part of like network type groups um, when they saw me kind of launch as an anti-MLMer. I'm a, I'm a hobbyist, you know, but we all are, for, no, I mean, for the most part, I mean, you know, eventually some of us become monetized and that that's fantastic. Yeah. You know, that we can create content for people that people enjoy and are learning from and that you can make a little bit of money from it. And some people make enough that that's their job and that's fantastic too. But I would say most of us are hobbyists. <laughs> yeah. I haven't, I haven't quite created those kind of like monetized pipelines yet. I haven't like noticed, I don't know what that'll look like for me one day. It might be cr created about like something else like therapy wise, you know, but yeah. eventually I will probably get there. And that's, that's kind of my goal eventually, but I love creating content. And so I started creating just like snarky, funny, goofy. Like, I don't think everybody gets my um, humor, which is okay, <laughs> but I, I just kind of created those and like, like 4,000 people found me and started following me. And that's just kind of how I started. And you know what? And uh, in the world of TikTok, it's like, 4,000. <laughs> of your nose but like that's four thousand people i, I don't even think i know four thousand people where, where did like, all you know people come from like people get so hooked up on like numbers of things like that but like even just like watching my podcast grow and stuff i i am in oh. awe every time i watch and like look at my stats and stuff like that i'm like i have I have talked to so many people now, people in other countries, like, this is amazing. And like, I appreciate every single person that is able to listen to my squeaky voice <laughs> and hear these amazing stories by all of these amazing people um, who are survivors and have gone through this. And like, we're all just healing together. And it's just so 
so amazing. Anyway, it like went off on my tangent, but, <laughs> but okay. yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I landed, right? Like Lula Rich happened, I watched it. I had to process it. I mean, I felt so much shame and guilt and anxiety because I knew that there are a lot of people who are in my life or who are distantly in my life that will that would watch it and would tie my name to it yeah right and so I had to work through thank goodness for my therapist (laughs) I see him twice a month and I will forever and ever until one of us quits the field or dies like (laughs) that's what we have committed to probably but I I had to process it with him because I felt so much so much of that shame just like like rolled up and like hit me like I think I think the night it came out and we we binge watched it I like laid in my bed and cried because I was like that I did not realize that the owner's voice was so triggering to me yeah and you know it's really you know throughout your story you've talked a lot about like your shame reactions and your guilt reactions and I think that that that's part of the reason why we're here and why we make this content because so many people feel those things and they're too embarrassed to come forward and say it because they feel like they did something wrong, but we've been tricked. We've been hoodwinked. Um, and and it's, it's not your fault. Like, yes, you made decisions to do this, but you were making decisions based off of this rainbow pot of gold that was sitting in front of you. Um, and it was like, oh, if you just go a little bit further on the rainbow, you'll get to the pot of gold. Like, but the rainbow never ends. Right. And There's the no of, end. The pot of gold was like a mirage. Yeah. It's not even gold. Co- and it's not even chocolate coins. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I think becoming an anti-MLMer, quote unquote, it helped things kind of become more congruent for me, right? Yeah. Like it matched my values that were not matched when I was an MLM. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I kind of had to process that for a second because you're right. There are so many things, expect like I, I'm lumping us together um, because I just think we're the same person. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, like I can imagine, like we both have such strong values and strong opinions, and like we're here to help people. We're here to make a difference, and like that's what I was sold as a dream in MLM, and I imagine that's what you were sold as a dream in MLM. And then like, as you're going through it, there are all these little like red flags and you're like, well, if I just don't do it that way, well, if I just make sure I don't do that and you're like, okay, well, like I can do this differently. It's my business. I can do it how I want, but you're still doing it. Even if you're trying not to, you really are still doing it. And even if you actually aren't doing the icky things because you're promoting the brand the brand does the icky things, all of the icky things. And like, you know, so sorry, somebody doesn't sign up under you, but you've planted the seed and they end up signing up under somebody else that does do the super, super manipulative things. They don't know the difference between you and Joe Schmo. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, 
it that brings up a lot of stuff for me because I was part of like a paid coaching group, somebody who had become like really like successful in MLMs and left or whatever had created this like paid marketing coaching group. And that's what they taught was like, you can do this. You can do this in a way that's not scammy, but yeah, I've, I have found that that's not true. Yeah. It's not true because it's the scam is built into the compensation plan. Like, right. Right. <laughs> built uh-huh. into culture. It's built into the way MLMs are structured. So even if you try to do it differently, all that effort, it, it didn't matter for me. Yeah. And you know what I'm just remembering too, is that we talked about the faith manipulation before, and I wanted to see where you saw that in your other two MLMs. If you have time to touch on that briefly, that would be great. Yeah. So Paisley Ray, no faith ma- manipulation. Thank goodness. They were lovely. wonderful. Bravo. <laughs> yeah. Bravo. <laughs> LuLaRoe, however. Yeah. That. Um, so for me at the time when I, when I joined LuLaRoe, I was, I was slowly getting to the point of, of not being religious anymore. Um, I, I, de- I don't identify with any religion at this point. Um, maybe just some cultural components of religion, but that's, that's about it, right? Like I'm raising my kids in like a non-religious home. And so um, with LuLaRoe, it, I mean, I feel like most people that are in the anti-MLM community and listen to these things have an idea that LuLaRoe is very faith-based in a very underside kind of way, right? Um, We know that they're members of, should I even say the church? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, they're members of the Mormon church, right? Yeah, it's Mormonism, right? So like, we know Mormonism has a lot of MLM in their culture, right? That's, that's, MLMs are like Mormon culture is MLMs, right? That is, that's it. Yes. That's the thing. Yes. It's in very, but very, very, very entwined. And um, I, I'm thinking that your episode is going to come out during uh, March when I do faith manipulation month. And I, I don't know if it will be before or after the episode that I'm doing with two ex-Mormons. And um, that will be really interesting to see what they say about all of this, but yes. Yeah, so I was not experiencing it on an affinity fraud level. Mm-hmm. Some people, maybe some people were, but I was experiencing it in like all of the messaging that they were giving us was like, they were very controlling about how we were styling the clothes. I mean, at one point they were like, y'all can't turn these skirts into dresses. You know, like they were so mad at us for doing those kind of things because it, I guess it vi- probably violated their, you know, modesty views, right? Their modesty beliefs. And so they, yeah, they were super controlling. At one point they came out and said, um, please do not style the clothing in ways they're not meant to be styled. Um, there was a lot of, um, you know, the whole like, heteronormative you know you the wife starts the business and then the husband gets brought home that kind of idea um the assumption that we're all married to men yes Yes. (laughs) and that we all have children yeah I feel like that's very um like culturally Mormon it is yes it is um very much so from what I've learned about the Mormon religion is like you know um 
I I don't know patriarchy (laughs) (laughs) we're both having like like a moment so it was it it didn't get its hooks into me quite like this fundamentalist Christian experience that I had when I was younger in Advocare probably because I had processed a lot of the religious trauma that I was that I had gone through in my childhood with my therapist. Like I had processed that with my therapist. And so that stuff didn't really get its hooks into me. I was like annoyed by it and noticed like, they don't want us showing our cleavage, but like my, these are my boobs and I'm going to show them if I want to like that, you know, it didn't get its hooks into me as much, but it was very noticeable in like the, the undertones of everything they were telling us and what they were teaching. And so somehow I, I found myself in a Mormon leggings cult and it just didn't really fit. <laughs> like that part of it, I was like, we're just going to ignore this because this doesn't, this doesn't fit me at all. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's just, there's so much there. And, you know, it, it drives me bonkers. When people say that, and I've always at first contributed this to just the fact that I wasn't religious, so I just didn't get it. Um, but now I'm like, oh no, you were right all along. Jesus did not lead you to your MLM. Jesus did not present you with this opportunity. Like Jesus would not, it, like, you know, if you believe in Jesus, like, do you really think Jesus would scam you and teach you to scam others? Right. Do you really think that you would have favor from God because you joined MLM and started this MLM team and that God would give you these blessings because you were holier than everyone else? Because that's kind of the vibe I was getting from Advocare. Right. Right. And it's just, it's just not okay. It's just not okay. And like, you know, people put so much of themselves into religion and into these communities and trust and to manipulate people by using God in your MLM is just so wrong because like there's so much trust in, in God that if somebody else says that God led them to it, it's just like, oh, well, like, Maybe this, them talking about that is my sign that I should look into this and I should join it. And if you see enough of it, like enough messages that are talking about like faith with the tie to MLM, it's like, oh, this is me. Like, this is meant for me. And because MLM reps spend so much time talking about how their whole entire life is connected to the MLM. Like, even if you're just posting about your own religious stuff, like if you just want to share Bible quotes or whatever, because that is you, you're still connecting it to the MLM because you become the brand. (laughs) So gross. It's so gross. It's so gross that I am just like, I don't even know how to respond. Yeah. All right. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about before I give you my final question? I, I don't think so. I think that we have hit everything. 
We have talked about so much. We have talked for so long. Um, I I don't even know what time I hit record, but this has been quite a long podcast, I think. Um, so thank you so much for making time for me. And um, what is your anti-MLM why? So my anti-MLM why is that I want to expose the shame that I felt in order to help other people realize that it's not okay to get put into this position of feel and feel this, the, this shame about being manipulated and that like, I want people to know that they are victims and that it's okay to process it, that it genuinely can be a trauma for somebody. Right. Yeah. And that, that actually kind of ties into my TikTok name. Yeah. (laughs) My name on TikTok is MLM survivor. Right? Yes, that's my whole that's my whole purpose is like I want people to realize that those of us who are left are survivors. Yeah. And you know, I had a I had a lot of trouble with that when I first left MLM because I was still, you know, trying to figure everything out and I felt a lot of guilt around using the term survivor um because, you know, I work I work very heavily with trauma uh, trauma survivors in general, like very, very much big T trauma. And I was like, Oh, but like, what about them? And I'm like, it doesn't not, it doesn't matter. Isn't the right word. Um, but like, it doesn't invalidate the fact that you're a survivor just because you didn't go through big like, I mean, depending on what happened in your MLM, it could be big T trauma. And yes, I know there is um, some, uh, we don't always love using big and little T trauma as therapists, um, but but sometimes that's just the easiest way to talk about these things. Um, so I am trying to be sensitive about that too, um, that even classifying trauma like that can be um, problematic. And so I'm trying, it's so hard. Cause like, I don't know how to like explain myself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, where I come, you know, like my stance is that it, it's possible that people have, that people leave MLMs with trauma, you know, trauma. Mm-hmm. Is, yeah. We, we can classify traumas based on like what the actual situation is, but, but trauma is really about, about the person's reaction or the person's like, how it impacts them. Right. And so I I do feel like for myself, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't say like I had intense trauma from leaving my MLM, but in the context of my mental health, I am a trauma survivor, right? Mm -hmm. I have things that I have spent a lot, a lot of years of my life working through. And in the context of that, leaving my MLM was also deeply intertwined in my survival of some of these things I've gone through in my life. And, you know, I think that there's so much to be said about just like, like you don't realize that it's traumatic because it changes your whole life and there's so much toxic positivity around it. But I think that one of the things that is deeply traumatic about all of this is that so many people think they're finding healing within their MLM because of the toxic positivity, because of the swarming, because of the love bombing, you feel this high of 
my life is getting better and things are finally like falling into place. And then when you leave, you realize I'm getting emotional. You realize that it's all lies, you know, like, and that's, that's so traumatic to find out that, Ooh, wow. I'm having a, I'm having a really big moment right now. Really big, strong reactions. Um, you know, (laughs) it's just like, you know, that, that's huge. That, that is huge because your body and your, like your whole body holds on to trauma. And I just can't help but wonder what person I would be today if I had never been in an MLM. Yeah. I, I think what's coming up for me is like anyone who has left an abusive relationship or situation is a survivor. Right. And so like and MLMs are an abusive relationship. That is, that is how they get you, right? Like they pull you in, they love bomb you, they swarm you, they do all the things that, you know, a power and control abusive situation does. And like the people who have gotten out of that and left have Mm -hmm. to process. And that is survivorship in its own way. And I think that that manipulation is part of the reason why I'm even today still struggling with using the word survivor in connection to leaving because I've been told for 10 plus years of my life that MLM was going to change my life and it was going to be a positive thing. And, you know, even though I know, I now know that this is not a good thing and that it isn't a positive change and all of this stuff, that's still ingrained in me. My body still holds that. And I'm like gaslighting myself (laughs) into being like, Hey, like you're not a survivor. You just went through this thing and you're, you're fine. (laughs) You're not a survivor. You just didn't work hard enough. Right. Like doing that. And I have had to work through that. Right. This like my value is based on the work that I put out or the things that I do or how successful I am viewed in this way. Yeah. That, you know, is something I really have had to work hard to like rip out that the root of that. Yeah. It's capitalism. Like the root of that is capitalism, right? There's like a major problematic part of, of this. And that capitalism is why MLMs can't exist like this. Absolutely. All right. We have gone all over the place. Um, now that I've like almost cried, um, we're just <laughs> gonna, we're going to wrap it up today. Um, thank you so, so, so much. Um, can you say one more time where people can find you and I will put it in the show notes as well. Yeah. I'm on TikTok uh, at MLM survivor. Perfect. And you know, I'm really excited to see like you grow in the anti MLM community and Um, I, you know, we're just always thankful for anyone that's willing to speak out, um, because it's just so important. Like the more people that we can get to hear these messages, uh, the more people we can potentially save or help heal from these traumas. And I'm just, I am so thankful for this conversation today. I clearly got something from it. Um, and I really hope that everyone listening does too. Um, you are just so lovely and I, I'm, I'm just so thankful for you. Um, all right, everyone, (laughs) thank you for coming. Um, all right, everyone, if you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure that you are 
screenshotting it, sharing it on all your social media. You can tag me um, on Instagram. My handle's down below. Um, and please rate the podcast with five stars, nothing less. <laughs> it really does help boost the podcast and help people to see, you know, these great stories that people are sharing. So um, I really thank you. And I thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye.